Welcome back to the Resurrection Church Podcast. We have a very special episode today. I'm joined by Lewis Guest, the lead pastor of Jubilee Community Church. Now, unfortunately, as um, I was interviewing Lewis, I did not have him turn on his microphone. So instead of a podcast recording as we normally do it, just sitting around a table up in the office, we had Lewis join us for our adult Bible class, and I interviewed him there. So unfortunately, we miss the part where he introduces himself and talks a little bit about his life uh, because I failed to do my job and have him turn on the microphone. So you'll notice as we get started, it's a little abrupt and he just gets his microphone turned on. And at the time he was talking about the way that he had been influenced through Christian hip hop, Christian rap, and that's how he came across Reformed Theology, John Piper, and that's ultimately what led him to study at Bethlehem College and Seminary and what brought him to the Minneapolis area. So I hope that you will still enjoy and profit from the rest of the interview. I thought it was very interesting, engaging, and I was thankful for the opportunity to uh, allow people at our church to get to know Lewis better. I had gotten to know him a little bit through our mutual studies at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. And because we're both pastors in the Twin City area, I thought it would be great for our church to be able to get to know him a little bit better. We plan to pray for Jubilee Community Church on the regular, adding them to our rotation of churches that we pray for during the Prayers of the People segment of our service. So if you're a member at Resurrection Church, hopefully this will help you pray more intelligibly um, in a more informed way as we seek the good not only of our church, but other gospel preaching churches in our area. Enjoy this episode and this interview with Lewis Guest. We're good. There we go. Now all we're right. good. Now okay. We're cooking. Now, well, we I go. didn't set you up for success there. No, it's unfortunately. All good. <laughs> okay, and and now you, I think you have a little blog post on Desiring God talking about uh, the hip hop rap music yeah. experience and John Piper's preaching or Absolutely. speaking being embedded into that, mm-hmm. and that brought you to Bethlehem. Then. That brought me to Bethlehem. Okay, so this would have been two thousand and four, five, somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. Uh, Christian hip-hop at that point, not as much now, but Christian hip-hop at that point was really drinking deeply from Reformed theology. So uh, (laughs) whether they were doing it legally or not, but they were taking sermons from your Pipers, your Sproles, your MacArthur's, and putting them into the lyrics. And that was the first time that I ever heard of it. And there's just a generation of folks in that time span. I would have never come across Piper within my Word of Fame circle. Okay. I would have never come across Reformed theology naturally. It came in through hip-hop. Huh. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So when I met John for the first time at my first Desiring God conference in 2008, I walked up on him. I said, hey, man, I, I heard about you through hip-hop. And he kind of <laughs> looked at me like, what's hip-hop? You know? <laughs> like, what is that? You know, Because uh, uh, it, it just was uh, an unlikely connection for a period of time between yep. uh, Minneapolis pastor John Piper and, 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 and an urban and hip hop culture, and it just it just popped at that moment. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's that's really interesting. Weirdly enough, I I went to this really small fundamentalist college, okay. and all rap music was not allowed. Like you'd no, get kicked out yeah. if you were listening to it. Absolutely. Um, and it was a very Arminian school, okay. so we didn't know about Reformed theology either. Yep. And most of my friends also learned about Reformed theology through, through Christian rap music. It's yeah. it's really weird. Yeah. But yeah. that's yeah. how. A lot of That's my how, friends came to know yeah, John Piper. Let me ask you a question. How did the, so the, the leadership of your school or the people who are 
watching you young folks hearing Reformed theology through hip-hop, how did they respond to that? Oh, that was a big no-no. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's interesting about my Word of Faith experience, I think our, the leadership structure at that time uh, missed a great opportunity to engage with the young folks at that moment about hmm. the questions that were popping up because of Reformed theology versus a Word of Faith theology. And it was very similar. Yeah. It was, no, you shouldn't listen to this. You can't listen to this. Okay. Person, versus an engagement and things yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, interesting. Well, if you want to learn more about some of your experiences, mm -hmm. just go to Desiring God and look up Lewis Guest on the, on the author page, and, mm -hmm. and there's some more information there. So you went to Bethlehem, yep. did the four-year MDiv. Four-year program there. And then how did you stay did around here? Yep. So um, the, the first year at Bethlehem, I met a guy named Toth Majors, who was running a program at the time called Say Yes, which is an after-school program at Jubilee Community Church. It reached out to the uh, youth of that particular neighborhood, and then we would do dinner, we would play some games, have a time of Bible study, go to summer camps and things like that. So my interaction with Jubilee started pretty much as soon as I hit the ground running at, at Bethlehem through Toph Majors. Uh, at the time, the seminary required an internship for the fourth year, and since I already had an existing relationship with Jubilee at that point, it just made sense for the internship to go through them for that fourth year. And that internship after graduation turned into a pastoral residency, which then a year after that turned into a, a pastoral position. Okay. And what's your role at Jubilee now? Right now, it's the pastor of preaching and teaching. Okay. We just recently, in the last, uh, about a year or so ago, had our, the lead pastor who started Jubilee uh, um, step down from that particular role, and I slotted into the pastor of preaching and teaching, which we're trying to work through where it's not a lead pastor position. It's, there's three of us that are involved of, of the things that go on throughout the week. But my, my responsibilities would include um, coming up with the preaching calendar, setting a direction of where we're going to go preaching-wise, preaching often and things of that nature. Okay, great. What are you currently preaching? We are just finishing up a 10-week series on the church. Okay. So we've been asking 10 questions about church. So I'm encouraging our folks, to, we say elevate your ecclesiology. We all have different, we all come in here with a, uh, a frame of what we think church is, how we understand it. We all come in here with experiences of being in the church, and, and we want to encourage our folks to say, though we come in with these experiences, let, let's let Revelation inform how we understand ecclesiology and, and elevate it that Great. way. So that's coming to an end, and on the other side of Easter, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians. Okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what, what's the mission or purpose of Jubilee? Yep. And how has it developed since its founding mm -hmm. whenever the, the guy started it? Yep, Jubilee started about 13 years ago. It's a, it's a church plant from Bethlehem. So John Erickson was the, if I remember correctly, the youth pastor of Bethlehem or the youth leader of Bethlehem for a while. And 13 years ago or so, he started, uh, he started uh, Jubilee Community Church. Uh, it, it really was birthed from a vision of having a multi-ethnic church within South Minneapolis. He was born and raised in South or is raised at least in South Minneapolis, and wanted to see a church that was planted there. And so coming out of Bethlehem, the tagline that we that we developed over the years is that we exist to glorify God by enjoying him in all things, uh, grow in our maturity in Christ, and go with the gospel to the neighborhood and to the, and to the nations is the tagline. The word jubilee, if you're familiar with it, you, 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 it rang true to you from the book of Leviticus and from the prophets and, of course, from Jesus, which is proclaiming this liberty and this freedom that comes about because of the work of the Messiah. So Jubilee has another, another tagline that says, proclaiming the Lord's liberty to the city. And that's what we've aimed to, aim to do over, over the years. Okay, that's, that's great. Um, as you pursue glorifying God, mm -hmm. growing together, yeah. going into the community, mm -hmm. how, how does that affect 
the way you do church on a Sunday? How does that affect your preaching and teaching yeah. and your broader ministry yeah, efforts? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the questions that we asked during the church series is what, not only does, uh, why do we need to gather on a regular basis, but what do you, we do when we gather? What, what's, the, what's the format here? And what we've aimed, to, what we've aimed to, to speak about is we gather as a church both for the glorification of God, to glorify him, to edify the body, and then also to embody the gospel for those in our neighborhood and those who are among us. So one way that we aim to, we aim to do that from a, from a gathering standpoint is to structure the services in a way um, that is very familiar with those with the, the, the ACTS um, acronym, A-C-T-S, uh, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, and of course the Word of God that's, that's built into it. One of the formative experiences that I had when I moved from my Word of Faith Circle to Bethlehem is uh, recognize, I remember one Sunday, Leaving the, leaving the service with a sense like, man, we, we, we went someplace with this service. Like there was a progress, a gospel progress, a gospel retelling of the story through the service. And we've aimed to, to emulate that at Jubilee. So every time we gather, how do we retell the story of the gospel to one another, both through our singing, through our prayers, through preaching, to even how we fellowship and to even how we go is, is one way that we acclimate the glorified part. Uh, the grow part is aimed at through a series of um, spaces of education, whether it's our adult Sunday school or uh, Sunday school for our young people. Um, other classes that we may have throughout the year uh, is going to be a strong component of growing. And we have a small group structure called um, uh, missional life groups where we aim to also grow in that, in that format. And the, the going um, is connected to both um, missionaries that we have abroad and then missionaries that we have within the Twin City areas in terms of a, a, a functional aspect of going, but then just a, a broad call for our folks to continue to uh, rub shoulders with the neighbors and, and, be in, and be in relationship with their coworkers and aim to, aim to share the gospel that way. Okay. So one of the questions that I've asked myself a lot in terms of community outreach yep. and going, obviously there are maybe two components that sometimes mix and are sometimes separate mm -hmm. of speaking the gospel. Mm -hmm. And then as you phrased it, embodying the gospel Embody. through the way that we relate to neighbors mm -hmm. in our community. But I think over all of that is the question of how much of community outreach should be formally organized and structured as an activity of the church yeah. and how much of that is going to just have to be the natural interactions that church members have. Yep. How, how have you guys thought about that? Well, it's something that we're wrestling with now because if you were to spend any time at Jubilee, you would get a sense that we're more like the latter okay. that you did describe that there's more ministry that's going forth from our people just in their neighborhoods versus actual structured programs. Uh, if, you walk, if you walk on Jubilee, as a, uh, if you walk into the building throughout the week, you would not see as much activity from the church. We do have a food bank uh, that we're in partnership with in the basement that has a lot of activity, but we're wrestling with what, what is that balance and what does it look like to have something that's structured for the community? I was challenged with a question here a few, a, a while ago um, through a book or a podcast, some, I can't, can't source it, but the question would, was something to the effect of would the community miss you if your church just folded, it just upped and closed, if it left the neighborhood? And that started really the, the, I think the hard questions of us asking, you know, what does it look like to both, to, to have to have a balance of both, to say naturally, as when we, when we scatter after services, are people going to go to the places, like say the places that the Lord has sovereignly put you and you'll do ministry that way? And then what does it look like also for us to do ministry at Jubilee? Jubilee started with a strong emphasis of being a church for South Minneapolis, but over the years, our people have, have now moved over to the metro, the metro uh, Twin City area, and mm -hmm. that concentration of folks in South Minneapolis is not as robust as it was 
when it first started, and that, that increases once again the question, because we all in a very real, my family and I live in North Minneapolis, which is 15 minutes away from the church. Okay. So it, it does beg the question, how do we turn around and, and figure that out? I think we're asking the same question. Yeah, so. yeah. When I, I haven't talked too much about our church's history, but it was started as the second Southern Baptist church in Minnesota. Oh, really? And it was started as a regional church more than a local church. So people would drive in from yeah. an hour to an hour and a half away from all, all the directions, Absolutely. but no one lived in Burnsville. Lived in Burnsville. And then yeah. over time, you know, that becomes problematic because yeah. you don't actually reach the community your mm -hmm. building's your building. in. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason a replant was needed was because no one, no one lived in that community. In community. So, so what would you guys identify as the neighborhood community mm -hmm. that you'd hope to see more people yep. connected to? So South Minneapolis, where we are in the building, has a high population of the Latino community. Um, the and high population of um, the um, indigenous community. We have a, a place called Little Earth, which is which is probably a mile up the street. That okay. is going to be a spot where uh, that community just is housed at this particular point. Okay. And then we have a progressive community in the mix. I think when John Erickson planted the church, he might have been looking for more of an African American community to be able to embody the vision of a multi-ethnic church, but most of the African-Americans in Minneapolis are in North Minneapolis. Okay. And we don't get a chance to rub as much shoulders there. Shoulders okay. there. So the, the, question, the question that we're asking is how do we, with the people that are taking up residency within our building, you know, how do we reach this wide spectrum from progressive young, uh, young individuals all the way over to our Native American population, all the way over to our Latin American population, and, and, and it's, it's proven to be interesting to try to figure that question yeah. out. Yeah, so I'm a little bit familiar with the area because mm -hmm. I lived in Elliott Park okay. yep. right after I got married. Yep. And there are a lot of churches, maybe not, a I guess it's all relative, mm -hmm. but there are a handful of solid churches in the Minneapolis, in the Minneapolis area. area. How does Jubilee relate to those other churches? Yep. And is there a good way for churches to partner in ministry together, mm -hmm. even as they're targeting different locations. Yeah, there's a couple of different relationships that we enjoy um, in terms of doing gospel ministry together within the Twin Cities. Uh, one of those is the relationship with Bethlehem and the students and the pastors and the seminary guys that are connected with there. So when they all go to their separate churches, um, there's a sense that we all know one another. So there's a strong relationship there. We're part of a network called Treasuring Christ Together Network, which is a network of uh, mostly Bethlehem planted churches, both here in Minneapolis and the nationwide. And that also provides a strong relationship to be able to um, gather with some sort of regularity and, and encourage one another in the faith. And then Jubilee is also an SBC church. So um, in connections with people like uh, Jonathan Parnell at Cities Church also creates a, creates a, a warmth and a, and a working relationship that way. Okay, yep. great. Um, over the last couple of years, I think pastors have tried to figure out how to lead churches through things like pandemic, yes. riots, riots in the city, which yes. obviously affect your area yep. more than mm -hmm. south of the river, mm -hmm. uh, political turmoil, just about everything else. Yes. And I think regularly when I talk to pastors, on the one side, I hear pastors saying, we should just not pay attention to any of this, True. and we just keep doing our thing. Yep. And um, in a sense, feel like we're focusing on the gospel and all the right things by never talking about this. Mm -hmm. But then I know some other pastors who it seems only talk about only these talk about issues. Mm -hmm. 
How have you dealt with that at Jubilee, particularly being in Minneapolis mm -hmm. and closer to where more of these issues are on full display? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think we're of the opinion that we can't be either one of those extremes, that it has to be something that we discuss. We know our people are discussing it. And if the church doesn't have anything to say about it, then they can go to other sources to be able to inform their decisions. So how, I think it starts off by saying that they're not untouchable topics, that we need to be able to discuss the issues of the day, the situations of the day, and to be able to do that from a, from a gospel-centered centered standpoint. A couple of ways that we tried to do it, particularly with, the, with the, the, those hot spot moments, is to create spaces for conversation. Um, we, we like to think, particularly with the COVID years and the situations around COVID and the politics that have, have risen up and even with the riots per se, that the Lord in a very real sense spared us from great division within the body. And I would hope that it would be because there were spaces to be able to talk about it. So often we would find, and even particularly on the SBC issues, often we would have to um, have meetings together and say, hey, let's just open up and let's just talk about what's, what's on your mind and what's on your heart. And if, it feels like just creating that space to talk gives opportunity to be able to work through certain things. But right before 2020 hit, we did a series, or it might have been 2020, could have been the fall of 2019, if I remember correctly. We did a series called Turn the Volume Down, and the aim of that series was to help us learn what it looks like to interact with folks that have different opinions than we do. So the turning the volume down is not turning your volume down, but turning my own personal volume down so that I can at least engage with folks who may come at it in a different way. And I would hope that that was helpful uh, to be able to at least build the category in our people's mind to say, there's a place where um, understanding doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with somebody, but there's, a, there's an act of love in sitting down and trying to ask, understand somebody else's point of view and wrestle in that way. So it wasn't without its, its, uh, its hard moments. It wasn't without its, its uh, particularly on the SBC issue, it wasn't without its camps forming about what we should do and what we ought not to do. But we were very thankful that it didn't erupt in such a way that it caused, uh, caused particular, you know, specific, really spectacular division within yeah. the body. So providentially, you guys had been talking about some of those things, yep. and hopefully that helped disciple helped people a little, to talk. Yeah, exactly. We knew the politics. We knew uh, this must have been uh, what was the what was the political year? Was twenty twenty a political year? Presidential year? Uh, yeah, 2016, 2016, fall of 2016, fall of 2020. So we knew coming up on that 2020 election year, we okay. needed to have yep. something there. And I think that's what sparked the turn the volume down. Okay. Obviously, I had no idea COVID was coming yep. and then the riots were coming. But yeah. providentially, it felt like that was a nice little category build to at least be able to engage with folks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one, one other, I guess, current issue mm -hmm. that I hear talked about a lot is the economy. Yes. How, how has the economic forces shaped life at Jubilee mm -hmm. in terms of your own ministry efforts and what you guys can do and the needs that you're seeing around Minneapolis? That's a great question. Um, the, I think we felt the impact of the economy through the giving that happens to the church. Uh, Jubilee has, has, we just actually talked about giving this last Sunday and what I expressed thankfulness for is the sacrificial giving that the members of Jubilee have historically given to the church. Um, our, our, but it feels like when it comes down to our budget, which is used for things like missionary activity, or we have this uh, fund called the Helping Hands Fund, where people can come with any type of need and we can aim to help financially, both in giving and in financial education. It, it seemed to be the case that that, that, that Helping Hands Fund was always full, even in the midst of 
knowing that our people are struggling uh, like we all are with the, with, yeah. the, with the economy. So one of the, we've had to scale back on, on what we're aiming for budget-wise, and at the same time that hasn't affected something like our Helping Hands Fund, okay. which I just count that as a blessing yeah. of the Lord, that Praise our people are still sacrificially <laughs> aiming to give um, that, that people, can, people can help. And that Helping Hands Fund has been incredible. Uh, people have mm. come, uh, if they had their house, some, one couple had a house broken into the door, was damaged, and we were able to go from the Helping Hands Fund and, and, to, and to take care of that. All okay. those type of situations yeah. are coming from it. And the people are just historically and faithfully have been given. So we feel the pinch. Uh, also, particularly, it feels like Jubilee, uh, our numbers have shrunk down in the transition, so that, that feels precarious at times from my vantage point. But we get to the end of the year and look back and say, man, look what the Lord Look what the Lord has done. He has faithfully carried us through yeah. and given us opportunity to still serve. Huh. So all of these issues are, of course, matters of discipleship. Yep. How, how do you guys think about discipling your members as a whole mm-hmm. and then maybe even more particularly raising up elders and deacons within your church, within the church. as a piece of that discipleship? Absolutely. So even where we are, uh, one of our pastors were, was engaging with, with Parnell a couple of, or maybe last week, and describing where is, where is Jubilee at this moment, particularly in the aftermath of our, our lead guy stepping aside, and now you have these, not three new guys, we've been around here for a little bit, but trying to think about what does Jubilee look like in the next 10 years? And the, the question that, the word that he uses, emerging, it feels like we're now emerging in the aftermath of, uh, of, of what last year was like. And in that emergence is a, f- a fresh emphasis on discipleship. We've been, I, I'll ask you this question, see if you can see what you say. We've been asking the question, what is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? What's the church ought to do? Um, is there a mission given to the church? And we, we boil down to saying that the church's mission is to glorify God, to proclaim his excellencies, and that's seen through discipleship. So the church's main task is to make disciples, and then those disciples then go make other disciples and, and then go and do the works of the ministry in, in that particular way. Um, the, so the emphasis has been kind of in a renewal of this vision of saying what the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to do is make these disciples, and that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I wonder, at least in my own soul, if people here that the Lord has given the church the task of making disciples as like, oh, that's it? That's all? No, like that, that is a beautiful, wonderful thing that the Lord has given the church to do. So how do we go about the business, business of doing it? So it feels like at this moment, it's the renewal of the vision and the call of discipleship, this renewal of this all that the Lord has given this task to us to do, and then to try to set up various ways to do so. So going back to our small group ministry, saying that this is a prime place where discipleship happens amongst one another. Going back to our, our adult education structure is a place where discipleship is going to happen there. Uh, I'm really, I'm really um, happy with something that started a couple years ago called Sisters Equipping Sisters. And this is a ministry focused to our sisters that are 40 and above and encouraging them and equipping them uh, and entrusting them in their call to disciple the younger women and doing so for the same, same way with the guys. So it feels like we're in a fresh season of, of trying to figure out how do we freshly call our people to this wonderful task of envisioning. So I said I was yeah. going to ask you a question. How do you, how do you answer the question of what the mission of the church is? Like, what, yeah. what are we here to do? Yeah, very similar, you know, the way that we talk about us in particular. We talk about glorifying God, yep. um, growing okay. as disciples of Jesus, yep. and going into the community to preach the gospel yep. and to embody the gospel. Amen. So I think— like we're reading the same book. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think almost— Every church that I am connected to you yep. has those three things those three expressed things. in different ways. Yep. You know, exalt, edify, yes. evangelize. <laughs> you know, you could three, say it however you want to. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I struggle with is 
trying to figure out, you know, when it comes to making disciples, yep. when I look at the biblical examples, I don't see a very clear discipleship pipeline, pipeline. or very clear, like, top-down structure. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say that anything is prescribed in how to do how this. To do mm -hmm. We see some good examples, uh, but as we're, send, we're sending a church planter guy to Guam, and he has his assessment this tomorrow. Okay. And, and he's been preparing to answer those questions about what his discipleship pipeline it's is and all like. of these things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'd be interested in hearing you maybe talk for a minute or two about the relationship between formal structured mm -hmm. discipleship program and then the kind of discipleship that's just a life on life uh, pursuing the Lord together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it starts off by trying to ascertain what we understand discipleship to mean. And uh, we were sisters equipping sisters this, this first time around. We started off with a series of three books. One of them was Mark Dever's book on discipleship. And what I appreciated about what we all appreciated about that book is his simple definition of helping other people follow Christ. So what does discipleship mean? Boiling itself down, taking what might be kind of a larger word, a more abstract word, say, hey, we're going to now live life together in such a way that helps us to follow, follow Jesus. And we've traditionally gravitated more on the life-on-life -life aspect, just living life together with one another, and, and once again working through what is the formal aspect. But as we're thinking about the formal aspect, I think we're taking our cue from Matthew 28. How do we set up structures that teach people in the various spheres of life to obey, to observe what Jesus has commanded them? And for us, I think it's fallen, in kind of, it's fallen into more traditional structures that we have spaces where brothers can get together and ask questions about observing what Jesus taught in the various fear, fears of being men. Same thing for our sisters, same thing for our youth, same thing for our children, parents. We're doing a, a, um, a Sunday school class with the parents this semester with the aim of, of once again, calling them a fresh discipleship. So I, I, think it, I think it's both a combination of formal opportunities that are structured in a way with the aim of saying, hey, let's learn what it means to observe all that Jesus has taught us in this particular area. And then it's a call to folks to, to figure out what it looks like to be life on life in the place that the Lord has given you. I put that same tension in rub point because we can't go to a text to give me a game plan. But I wonder if that's a good thing in the sense that the Lord provides a wide latitude of options to say life on life looks different with you and your family here in Burnsville than it might for somebody in South Minneapolis. But yeah. We're still, still going in that same direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think it gives uh, a greater responsibility to all of us mm -hmm. to not just adopt one program, yep. but to actually care about people as people and pursue them yep. and, and, be where we are. And be where you are. And then recognize not only be where you are, but like be where you are also in phases of life. I think one yeah. lesson I've had to learn is my walk with Christ and faith is going to look different when I was a single man versus when my wife and I got married versus when we went from one child to two child to, to three children. So recognizing where you are in life, recognizing the place that the Lord sovereignly put you. I think there's a freedom to be able to see how faith is expressed and how discipleship is expressed. Uh, there's a joy there and there's also a call to enjoy how other people are doing it versus looking down on other people, how they're not doing it like I'm doing it. Well, no, notice the, notice the, the wide, this beautiful picture of the various ways God has called his people to live by faith in his son and, and see how you can take those things. Just try to discern what the will is for the, for yeah. the Lord for your life in that area. Good. Well, we only have a few minutes left, so I okay. want to go into a speed round. Okay. Okay. All right. So, here we go. Um, <laughs> you know, fa fast questions here. Fast First questions. one, um, when did you meet your wife? 
2000, we met in 2008, uh, 2018. Okay. Yeah, my first, uh, 2019. She's shaking her head back there. It's too, <laughs> it's too, much, too much pressure. I'm sorry, it's too fast. Two, 2019, I came up for a Bethlehem conference. Huh? 2009, 2009. Okay, sorry. <laughs> 2009, came up for, my Beth, for a Bethlehem conference. Okay. We have a mutual friend who introduced us. Okay. Feeling the heat, the pressure is too fast. Yeah, well, so, 10 years, you know, that's yeah. a, that goes fast. Yeah, so it feels like maybe yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. 2009, 2009. Uh, what are the names of your children? Our oldest is Olivia. She is six. She was born on our one-year anniversary. So we celebrated our one-year anniversary, giving birth to our firstborn. Eden is five, and Gia is about 15 months, 15, 16 months at this point. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, best thing about being a dad? Best thing about being a dad is being a girl dad. Okay. Yeah, just being a girl dad. Like, it, it's, it's fun having all girls. I'm losing against the fourth, as you all know, so the, the pressure was quasi on to say, you're going to have a boy and pass a name on and have Louis against the fifth, but it's wonderful being a girl dad. Okay, yeah. awesome. Uh, what's the hardest thing about being a dad and a pastor at the same time? Oh, uh, my, my, I tell my wife that I have a word count, and once that word count is done, I'm kind of done talking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, you, 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 could, you could only... I can only talk so much before I'm like, I can't talk anymore. Yeah. So probably a combination of the, the communication that's required both in the home and in the, in the, in the pastor. In the pastor, it can yeah. tap my word count a little bit more. But uh, my wife has said to me that I've increased in my word count, so to God okay. be the glory. Yeah, well, <laughs> you'll, you'll have to yeah. say that again, except when my wife is in the room, okay. so she'll better understand. Understand, yes. But it's not just me. It's not just you. Yeah. No, it's, no, it's, it's the word count. It's word count. Um, right? What's your favorite <laughs> old ancient hymn old ancient hymn so like 1800s and earlier oh, i man. guess counts uh, as old and ancient is amazing grace 1800 when is when was john newton alive that sounds right to me yeah 1800s i'm struggling there because been in the 1900s yeah i'm yeah. struggling there because my like hymns are relatively new to me in this circle okay so we sung we we had a particular type of music within my african my uh, baptist background and in Word of Faith, in my particular circle, didn't use him. So okay. I'm struggling to tap into the years. But if yeah. I had to go old, I'd think of Amazing Grace. Yeah, that sounds old to me. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite modern Christian song? Modern, modern Christian song? Favorite one. Whew, favorite modern Christian song. I got to tap into something I'm listening to now. Um, KB is an artist that I'm listening to with regularity. Uh, and he has a particular song called Weight and Glory. Okay. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. But it's a, it's a hip-hop song, Wait and Glory, a couple years old. And it, it just taps into the, the, uh, into the joys of we understand how the glory of God works. That's probably one that comes to my mind okay. immediately. Favorite theologian who is dead? Favorite theologian who is gone would be... Favorite theologian... Um, go back and forth with that. C.S. Lewis, maybe? Okay. Yep. Favorite living theologian? Piper. Piper. Yep. Okay. Um, What's your favorite non-theological author? Not Tolkien. Tolkien. Uh, I get, would you put him as the non-theological author? Uh, that's tough for me because yeah, I kind of put yeah. him as a theological, a theological author. author. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so if yeah. I had to go non-theological author. So um, maybe an author who would not say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Top of mind. Maybe there uh Honestly, I want to go to Malcolm X. Okay. Yeah. I've not read a wide swath of Malcolm X, but I was very moved by his autobiography. Okay. So favorite, not in the sense that, once again, I've taken in all of his material, mm -hmm. 
but man, that was a striking autobiography that actually had impact on my other task with my PhD. Okay. So top of mind, I think huh. you would be somebody I would okay. interact with. I I'll have to add that to the list. Yeah, I think what was striking about X is both his critique of Christianity, particularly in his, in his, um, in his sphere, but also his embodiment of, of um, understanding the beauty of blackness. Okay. And saying that, that he wouldn't say what we would say. We would say how the Lord has made us in our ethnicity is a beautiful thing. He was going in a different direction by helping me understand that. What, mm. and what that means also is that being black is beautiful at the same okay. time. I think that's uh, why that was impactful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A favorite fast food restaurant? Uh, favorite fast food? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Okay. There's one right across the street. Yes. But, uh, it's closed today. Yes, on a Sunday. Uh, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Uh, what do you enjoy doing outside of pastorally academic-y sorts of things? Um, would that include reading stuff that's not pastorally or academically? Or uh, you know, I think it... I'm seeing some shaking heads. <laughs> like, nah, that's not going So work. other than reading work. or uh, doing the sorts of things that look to some people to be academic. Like academic, yep. Yeah. Well, I still love basketball, so I love watching it. Okay. I tell my wife every single year during the finals, this is my favorite sports time of the year. She hears it okay. every year. She'll hear it again in June. That, that the, bat, the NBA finals is my favorite time, favorite time of the year. So that's fun. Okay. Uh, we enjoy doing things like taking walks and getting outside. Glad that it's getting warm now to be able to, to get the kids out and enjoy the outdoor weather. Um, that comes to mind. I've always been a gamer, so okay. I like picking up a PlayStation game here and, and vegging out a little bit there. So that, that's, that's in the wheelhouse. And I'm trying to think of anything that comes to mind. Other than that, I like picking up a book. Okay. You know. Worst car you've ever owned. Oh, my goodness. I had this lemon of a car in Florida that leaked. It was a Jetta. Okay. Should not have bought this thing, <laughs> but it leaked. And that's a problem in Florida because it rained every day. Huh. So it, yeah. it was just nasty because it would leak inside of it. it was, I don't even want to even, even describe it. It was bad. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll save you from reflecting yeah, on it further. It was a hole, it was a uh, hole in the – yeah, it was bad. It what, was bad. What's been one really influential passage of Scripture in the last five years? I'm going to take you to one today, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. So I'll leave that for the message. Okay. Um, but that one has been massively influential. Probably another one, well, I won't talk about 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, the gospel by which you received, the gospel mm -hmm. in which you stand, and the gospel by which you are being saved. The reason why that's impactful is my understanding of the gospel didn't include this current reality of standing in it. The gospel was more peripheral to me. So it struck me that Paul turned around and said, I want to remind you Christians of the gospel. I remember saying, why you got to remind Christians of the gospel? What well, we need reminding of it. And this reality of not only does the gospel have a past tense aspect and a future tense aspect, but as a current standing aspect, how do you stand currently on gospel ground is okay. massively influential. Is, is there a recent theological view that you've changed your mind on in like the last three years? that I've changed my mind on. It's okay if you can't think of yeah, something. I don't know if I'm putting you gonna, on the spot. Yep, I don't know if anything's come to my mind immediately. Um, having been in a, grown up in an African-American space, in a word of faith space that was egalitarian, at least in design. I, we didn't know those terms. I didn't mm -hmm. know those terms. I moved into this space. Moving into a space that has complementarity um, that's stitched into it. It's been interesting over the years to interact both with how I understand that theologically and then how I understand its outworking. And I okay. think over the years, 
there's been a tussle in my soul of, of seeing the wonky ways that both egalitarianism and egalitarianism have worked itself mm -hmm. out. That's probably sure. been one of the biggest, biggest struggles, uh, okay. biggest struggles over the last years and trying to figure yeah. out what that looks like, yep. stuff like that. Great. Well, my last question is, what are you most excited about right now at Jubilee yep. and in your education and in your personal life? Um, Jubilee, I feel a fresh sense of excitement to, to it, uh, interact with what the next 10 years look like. I tell people uh, with the experience of John stepping down last year, all last year felt like a year of just discombobulation. Mm. Just be, I always would have figured if I was at Jubilee, I would be doing ministry. We would be doing ministry with John Erickson. And to stare at a, at a, at a year in the reality where that wasn't the case was just disoriented. Mm. So after that year is over, now it feels like the fresh wind is to say, okay, let's figure out, let's discern and try to, and try to see what the next 10 years look like. So vision casting is starting to kind of bubble up a little bit more in my soul to try to, try to ascertain there. Um, Education-wise, uh, I guess I'm excited to be closer to being done. It feels like I'm still not close there, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm excited. I'm ready to be done. I'm ready to be done. Yeah. I, I think about the process that I, the PhD process would have been different um, if there wasn't as many things on the plate. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not as been as an enjoyable experience as seminary has been. Yep. Uh, it's been it's been good in the moment, but I'm ready for that thing to be done. So I guess I'm enjoying the fact that I'm one step closer <laughs> to, to this thing wrapping up, wrapping up. Um, personally, uh, I th we're, we're in a good season in terms of where our family is. It's fun to see a six year old and a five year old budding in their personality. Mm -hmm. Our one year old is a little toddler just getting into all type of stuff. So it's fun to be swinging out it, swinging out it, swinging in that direction. I tell folks with my youth ministry background, I'm not necessarily given to the infant stages and things like that. So to be able to move us into more of the, the place where our kids are being more self-sufficient and personalities are bubbling is an exciting, exciting yeah. time at this moment. Well, Lewis, thank you for joining, joining us for this live edition Man, of our podcast. My first, first one. one ever. First one and first uh, live one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You make sure you cut out what you need to cut out. <laughs> everybody and, well, thanks up. for sharing with us. It's been good to get to know you Likewise. more and to know more about Jubilee. And we look forward to hearing you preach in Amen. just a little bit. Okay. So I'd encourage anyone who's here, as you listen to the sermon, if you're encouraged by anything you hear or helped by it, talk to Lewis afterwards. Please. Introduce yourself, and um, we're, we're really thankful you're here today. Yeah, thanks for having so, us. Yeah, well, let me pray for you, and then we should dismiss. Father, thank you for Lewis and for Jubilee Community Church. I pray that you would use him this morning as he preaches to us. We ask that your word would get inside of us and change us into, and transform us into the image of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.